Welcome back. Thank you for joining me again and hope everyone's having a great week. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest to me and that guest is Dr. Milt Louder. Milt is a sports psychologist and really when you talk with Milt, his main goal and the thing that he's trying to achieve is to work with people and individuals and organizations on how they can optimize who they are and how they do things and he uses his expertise and his experience to try and find the factors within these companies or organizations or teams or coaches um, to drive their success and milk comes from humble beginnings um, we talk about some of his hard times growing up and just different life experiences he's been through and really how he has risen to one of the top sports psychiatrists in the world. And as not a Clemson fan, um, Milt works for Clemson and I like to root for Milt and I say Clemson football is is where they are in my mind. And I think this is very true, a lot to do with Milt Louder and his work behind the scenes um, with the coaches and the players. And I think you'll get from this conversation, Milt is just so genuine. His energy is calming. He's He listens. He's an excellent listener. And uh, we talk through all the different things that people can use throughout their life to hopefully optimize their performance on a personal level, uh, but also on a professional level. Um, if you enjoyed this conversation, please you know, share it with some friends and family. Give us a nice rating on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe. And uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Milt Louder. The most important thing we can all focus on right away for good health is sleep. It is something we all do. And for a lot of us, it's something we don't pay enough attention to. And it can start all start with your mattress. And Engineered Sleep, the team at Engineered Sleep, they do an incredible job about working with you and finding the best mattress for you as easy as possible. That is their main goal, to work with you, see what type of mattress you need to optimize your performance on a daily basis, and that's what they'll do. So reach out to the team at Engineered Sleep. Use promo code LIVE10. You can go visit them at their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina, or go to their website, engineeredsleep.com. Use promo code LIVE10. You'll get 10% off your order, and most importantly, you'll start living and sleeping better. Welcome to Live Life in Motion, where the goal is to bring you conversations that give you the power of education so you can use those tools to optimize your life on a personal and professional level to better yourself, your community, and those around you. Mr. Milt Louder, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great, man. Uh, what a blessing. What a privilege. Uh, I, I was look, thinking back, over coming over here uh, when I first met you, and I mean, maybe you were 15, 14, yeah. somewhere in that ballpark, uh, neighbors in Greenville, and uh, it's been so neat kind of observing your growth from afar, and uh, glad our paths have crossed again. That's right, and you know, you're someone that I've always kind of looked up to and inspired to be and I've watched your growth you know I remember you moving in next door was that 2005 2007 we moved uh 2004 2004, yeah, 2004. and I remember hearing you were a psychologist or psych yeah and I was like what does that mean like, that kind of scares me as like my neighbor but I met you right away in the front yard and ever since then there's been a very a big respect for you. Yeah. And especially when you got into sports, which I love, you know, I think sports shaped a lot of who I am and, uh, then watching your success. And I don't know if you ever reflect on your success, but, um, I love people when they're, cause I'm not a Clemson fan and they're like, you know, Clemson's <laughs> having all the success. And I'm like, well, I think it's because of Milt Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I, you may be the only one, uh, that thinks that, um, but to kick it off, and, and I want to talk a lot about mindset and, and uh, how we can create our own mindset and uh, kind of shape the way our values are for ourselves, for our mindset, and looking at 
the world as a whole, or even just the U.S. as people, what do you see that most people could focus on shifting their mindset to a different way if they could? Yeah, I think uh, that's been the greatest discovery. As William James said, kind of America's father of psychology, said the greatest discovery of my generation is one can alter his life by altering the attitudes of his mind. And so trying to understand and grasp how our brains operate, how they can work for us or against us. Mm -hmm. And I think especially in this time in our country where there's so much uncertainty, there's so much unrest, there's so much uh, focus on the bad, Mm -hmm. um, how do we have the courage to face the brutal truth? But how can we shift our thinking in such a way where our brains are working for us instead of against us? What do you mean by working against us? So our brains were created to, to protect us, mm-hmm. right? Our autonomic nervous system was created, you know, basically to protect us from threats and dangers. So, and our brains have not evolved a whole lot, that we're constantly scanning our environment uh, to look for those threats. And for many of us, maybe it's not life or death anymore, mm-hmm. but it's threats to our safety, to our security, to our sense of belonging, to our sense of being accepted, to our sense of being understood. And, and so in this world that we're in right now, you know, our brains are on high alert. Mm-hmm. And so when I understand that, what happens to me physiologically and what happens with my focus when I'm going through a certain event or my brain is scanning the environment and senses danger, you know, cortisol is a stress hormone, sends a signal to our adrenal glands. And adrenaline floods the body and activates everything we need for survival and deactivates everything we don't. So there's a lot of physiological responses that happen to that stress. Uh, Adrenaline is activated. But what our brain tends to do in that situation is focus on the threat. So my brain really locks in and dials in and focuses on the threat in front of me. So I'm not able to see the bigger picture Mm -hmm. because I'm in survival mode. I'm in fight or flight mode. And so our brain is constantly working against us, meaning due to our nervous system and how it's created, 70% of our thoughts tend to be automatic and negative. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think in terms of what I need to do, what I have to do, what I should do, Mm -hmm. what I can't do. And and that kind of increases our anxiety. That's... I actually recently read read a book. It's called Chatter by Ethan Cross. He's a professor at at Michigan. And it's about the negative chatter yes. within the brain. What <clears throat> are there tools or techniques that you could use with people to try eliminate or switch off that negative chatter? Yeah, we aren't going to be perfect in our thought life, and and so we're going to have our our, uh, our negative thoughts. But but the first step is becoming aware of their impact, and and understanding which thoughts work for you, which ones don't work for you, which ones are true, which ones are not true. You know, you can't lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had a lot of people over the years that we talk about cognitive restructuring, about changing the way they think. And they're like, well, I don't want to lie to myself. Well, well, you aren't necessarily lying to yourself Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about what you can do, what you will do, uh, what you're going to do. And so Albert Ellis was a, he was one of your weird psychologists, but, but created a technique called kind of the ABC model that there's an event that happens to us. And there's a belief about that event that drives our emotions and our actions and our behaviors. And so we cannot control what happens to us. We can only control how we think about it. So our interpretation of the events that are happening in our life can set us up for success or failure. That's one thing I try and tell even like my fiance and like my friends and everything going on, like if you look at negatives on social media or the media, we can control how we react to that. Yes. You know? by, and, I, and I would add by how we think. Exactly. Um, which I think a lot of times people don't react properly, right? Or they, they don't think before they react. Well, our brain is really lazy as well, Sam, if we start understanding <laughs> and, and really efficient. Uh, and it's automatic. Right, because we're, we're, I mean, we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, so you aren't able to capture every thought. Mm-hmm. And so our brain creates a pathway, um, what I call beliefs or rules that govern our mind, that we automatically respond. We are not able to, to process that event. We're just automatically responding based on my schema, based on how I see the world, based on how I see myself. 
is there <clears throat> have you ever like is it how why do people react the way they do is there like something that influences that is it fear is it what's what's the old uh uh, I'm thinking of the line in Wedding Crashers, nature versus nurture, right? <laughs> you know, nature always wins. Uh, I would argue against that, but it is a combination of nature and nurture. Somehow uh, the genetics play a factor of how we're wired and how we experience fear and what happens, um, you know, just just the makeup mm-hmm. of our brain and our chemistry. But obviously nurture and the role of people in our lives and traumatic events in our life mm-hmm. and what are we going through at a young age that shapes our life? Yeah. And then our interpretation of that, one of the things I believe, the story we tell ourselves about our life becomes our life. And I can't remember where I read that, or, 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 but that's what happens over time. We have these experiences uh, that shape us, and our brain is constantly taking in that information mm-hmm. and creating this image in our minds of who we are, and unfortunately, a lot of times, who we don't want to be. Mm-hmm. How <clears throat> can you reshape your image? Can individuals, yes, reshape who what they think about themselves? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, if if we couldn't do that, I don't think I'd be in business. Mm-hmm. You know, one one of the fundamental lessons I've learned in my world and the work that I do is your brain will seek to develop the most dominant picture that you paint, with which you attach the most emotion. Is that changing your priorities, changing what you care about, changing your interactions? Well, let's let's think about let's take that statement a step further. What's the strongest emotion we experience is fear, mm-hmm. and so the fear will shape that self-image, and so it's having the courage to face the fear. It's having the courage to face the brutal truth, but creating a different image in your mind, uh, and and painting that picture of who you want to be instead of who you don't want to mm-hmm. be. And over time, if you attach some positive emotion and imagery to that picture, your brain will start seeking to develop that picture. Uh, but we don't operate that way. Yeah. I mean, that's we, hard. Oh, it's very difficult. And because we go back to default mode under stress, <laughs> right? My wife and I will sometimes will get in an argument, and she's like, "Is that what you would tell people in your office?" I'm like, <laughs> "No, nah, this is good old Sumter redneck milk. This isn't." This has nothing to do with my education. This is this is sometimes at my core what comes out mm-hmm. under stress. And I I was sitting there this morning thinking about who you are and who you've become, and I started to think about how you were shaped. Yeah, your childhood, how you grew up, how your family life was, and I want to learn more about that. So you grew up in Sumter, yeah, right on yeah. a farm. Grew up on a cotton farm. Uh, my wife kind of said I grew up in the 1950s. It was a uh, <laughs> we didn't have central heat and air till I was till I was 10. Okay. And uh, my brother during the winter, my brother, my older brother Clay, our job was to get wood each morning to kind of fill up the fireplace and the black bark stove. And and if you know my family well enough, we had a, a wheelbarrow that didn't work. My brother said he learned to cuss pushing that because something would break every morning. And and it just was. A, a simple but busy way of life. It mm-hmm. was you earn your keep. You work hard. You play hard. Uh, you're passionate. You're emotional. Um, uh, my father was steadfast and determined and resilient and strong. My mother was the backbone. Um, I, you know, we had three children: an older brother who's four years older, a sister who's two years older, and then a little brother that was born when I was mm-hmm. ten. And and it was a great way of life for me. And I didn't the, the good and the bad. I didn't know what else was out there. Sure. Right, I knew I knew farming. Uh, my older brother wanted to be a doctor from a young age. I knew um, I knew medicine from that perspective, and I really cared about sports. Was there? Do you looking back now? Is was there a time when something clicked? Was like I love I love working with relationships. I love working with people. Like that's what turns me on. Like when did that click? So I, you know. Um, I always, especially for a louder male, I was wired a little bit differently in terms of emotions. I mean, louder males were tough and strong, and they didn't show a whole lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mother saying at a young age, I would crawl up in my grandfather's lap, and, and like I was the first male to ever do that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I read a book in the sixth grade, and the father passed away, and I finished the book in study hall, and I cried, and everybody made fun of me. <laughs> Um, the best line my father-in-law had at my rehearsal dinner is he stood up and said, Milton, Caroline have a mm-hmm. unique relationship. 
Uh, they get in a fight. She goes outside and cuts the grass, and he goes upstairs and cries. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I had a hard time accepting that part of me. Mm-hmm. But how how long did it take you to get comfortable with that? I'm still getting comfortable. I mean, I think I'm pretty comfortable with it now. I think... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but as a young, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be like my brother. I wanted to be like my grandfather. I wanted to be tough. Yeah. And so I would try to be really tough, and and I didn't know how to control my emotions. Mm-hmm. I knew how to work hard. Uh, you know, uh, I was pulling weeds in a cotton field when I was seven years old, and and so I could always work harder, go stronger uh, than others. But it, but that emotion drove me instead of what I know now, the thoughts, <laughs> like my emotions inform what I'm thinking, not the other way around. And so I think, um, I lost your question. I started rambling back to, to <laughs> shaping me and how I was different with relationships. Right. So I didn't, you know, I went through some pretty tough times coming out of high school and mm-hmm. through college and, and was a little confused about what I wanted out of life. And, and I actually went back to Sumter thinking I was going to take over the farm, but my high school, asked me to be an assistant basketball coach. And that's when I kind of realized pretty early on where maybe my gifts were mm-hmm. in terms of encouraging others, motivating others, watch a team come together to pursue a common goal, um, and helping others grow and develop. And so that's that's where I recognized it. I did have one woman uh, that called me from a very young age, her little preacher. And, <laughs> and uh, she always could see maybe that side of me of encouraging and being compassionate, mm-hmm. but I, 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 you know, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Coaching is a beautiful thing. And I thought for a long time, I wanted to go back and coach soccer. Cause I just, the feeling of seeing other people succeed is pro is, it's such a unique, great feeling that coaches have that power to shape these individuals, especially at a young age. And I mean, speaking from my experience, you know, my dad coached me a lot, yeah. right? Um, which my dad's one of my her- heroes. So um, how... And rightfully you- <laughs> so. I love your dad. <laughs> um, positive man. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's always glasses half full with that guy. Live Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Engineered Sleep. Engineered Sleep is a mattress manufacturer, and they are based out of Greenville, South Carolina, They have been making mattresses for as long as I can remember, and their main goal is to make finding the quality mattress for you as easy as possible. Um, They have a showroom in Greenville, but you can also visit them at their website, engineeredsleep.com. If you go to their website, use code LIVE10, and you will get 10% off. As you guys know, sleep is the number one thing you need to focus on for good health. And it all starts with your mattress. So stop putting it on the back burner. Go get yourself a mattress from Engineered Sleep and start living a better life. Over time, how do you how did your values change and what you wanted with life? Well, I don't know if my you know my my parents had a very strong uh, value based Christian based belief system uh, that governed and shaped our lives of how we lived and how we treated others and a very strong work ethic, Mm -hmm. um, and a, a kind of a, Hey, we're here to serve mentality. I think the biggest shift for me was making it my own, that, that part of growing up for me was, it wasn't what they thought. It wasn't what they believed. It was me taking ownership of what I truly believed and what was truly important. Mm -hmm. And, the goal that I think we're all striving for is to have the courage to live according to what you believe. And I think that's where freedom comes from and that's where power comes from. And so I think part of our life journey is to figure out what you believe and then have the courage to live according to that. That's, that's so hard to do. Like I feel like for a lot of times people are influenced by outside things or they see outside people with different successes and then they try to chase things that maybe aren't what they believe. Absolutely. And they're scared to express what they believe. Well, what did Roosevelt say? We um, Comparison is a thief of joy. Mm-hmm. And so we live a life trying to live up to the expectations of others or live up to the expectations of ourselves. And that really takes away our joy. Mm-hmm. And as you said, we're scared to 
explore the process of what is really important in life. What do I truly believe? And then we're scared to say, well, this is what I believe, especially in this world right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's you're challenged so much that if you think differently or believe differently, something must be wrong with you. So we don't sure. have a world where it's safe, that, that, that everybody's not safe to be who they are. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of judgment. Yes. Tons of judgment. And it's so much, you can get judged by people you don't even know. Yeah. You know, if you get on Twitter, Instagram, or social media, you have people on there all day just throwing up negative comments and it crushes the self-esteem right yeah of a lot of our youth yeah absolutely because they create an image of who they should be or it's not okay to be me it's not mm-hmm. okay to be this way it's not okay to look this way it's not okay to act this way whatever that is and so um you know thoreau said men lead lives of quiet desperation now to me that's humanity mm-hmm we, we, we all lead this life of quiet desperation where we're desperate for connection. We're desperate to be understood. We're desperate to be accepted. And, and, and so we compromise a little bit of who we are mm-hmm. in order to try to fit in instead of having a sense of belonging that I don't have to minimize who I am in order to make you feel better about yourself. Right, like a purpose. Like I always feel like I want to feel like I'm giving something back, like there's something I'm doing that is creating better yeah. for somebody. And that's what makes me feel good. Yeah, it's better, I mean, absolutely, it's better to give than to receive. Sure. And and I think that's a different mindset when, you know, C.S. Lewis said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Mm-hmm. So back to what I was saying, we don't have to minimize who you are, Sam, or what you believe in order to make somebody else feel good. Mm-hmm. But with that sense of confidence, how can you make it more about them than it is about you? And I think that's what we have to do as a nation. That's what we have to do as leaders, as coaches, as people in relationships, is how do I make it more about them than it is about me? How how can we do that? That is so difficult, right? But what's a step somebody could do? Well, I think have an awareness of what motivates you. What are the variables that are present? You said, man, I always feel great when I give something away, when I make somebody else's life better. And so being aware of what motivates you. When do you feel alive? When do you alive? When do you feel you're living according to what you believe? When do you feel you have purpose? Pay attention to those factors and variables of 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 when you are at your best. Mm-hmm. And then let's try to recreate that on a more consistent basis. But but the research, and Tasha Yurik has done so much research in this, that we don't have a high level of self-awareness as a nation. 90, 95% of us claim to have a high level of self-awareness, <laughs> right? So ignorance is bliss, but only 13% of us actually do. Mm-hmm. So we aren't aware of the fundamental principles, and especially unaware of our minds, uh, that govern our behaviors. Is self-awareness being aware of how your actions are creating the environment around you? Yeah, I think it's it's even maybe even broader than that a little bit. It's not only aware of how I'm creating or impacting my environment, but aware of my unique strengths, my mm-hmm. unique gifts, uh-huh. what I believe, um, how am I aware of how I fit into this world and what my purpose is and what my vision is. And then on a more consistent basis, what are my automatic negative thoughts? What are my reactions? What are the things that motivate me? What are the things that demotivate me? And being aware of others mm-hmm. and your impact in a positive or negative way on them and their experience. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think has always motivated me is like failure. You know, like the idea of being a failure yeah. is like something that's always scared me is that is there something wrong with that is that something that no i think we all are fearful Mm -hmm. i think i think that's what is fear it's just the most extreme form of anxiety yeah (laughs) and so this fear of and especially there's tremendous pressure on your generation and beyond to this myth that we have to be successful early we have to bloom early we have to be great at everything and and you it's impossible and so I think your generation has felt that pressure even more, and, and my children are feeling it more than you, mm-hmm. uh, that it's not okay to struggle. It's not okay to, to quote, unquote, fail. Mm-hmm. But to me, it starts with 
how are we going to define success? And then conversely, that sets us up for how we define failure. How do you define success? So, so this is my fundamental question. This is, you know, I ask it to everybody. I've been thinking about yeah, it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so um, the best definition I've heard comes from John Wooden, where he says success is the peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction, knowing you did your best to become the best you're capable of becoming. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, success is just the worthy pursuit of a worthy goal. So if I can shift my mindset from success is achieving the goal to success is pursuing a goal, then then my success is dependent on my effort. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if success is pursuing a worthy goal, by default, what is failure? Mm-hmm. Just not trying. Yeah. It's just not giving your best. How do you find what you want to pursue? Well, I think it goes back to awareness. Okay. You're right. It goes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's starting to ask the meaningful questions that we're scared to ask. Mm-hmm. It's it's what is important to me? What do I truly believe? What's my why? What's my vision? What's my purpose? Why am I on this earth? And what am I put here to do? Yeah, and and understanding how I'm wired and 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 when am I at my best? And as we said earlier, I have the courage to go pursue it. Yeah. What about <clears throat> so those questions you just ran off? The relatively straightforward questions. Yeah. But they're so complicated when you ask them to yourself. Yeah. How can people better answer those questions for themselves? Well, I think you got to give yourself time to think mm-hmm. and process. And so um, the busy pace with which we live our life leaves us very little time to think. Mm-hmm. And so if you could write those questions down and, and spend some time in reflection uh, and start paying attention to what we just mentioned. Hey, when am I at my best? What mm-hmm. is my purpose? What is my why? Uh, what are my strengths? What are my challenges? And start that introspection with yourself mm-hmm. and then people that you are willing to be vulnerable with. Mm-hmm. Right? That people or that have people you can talk to. Yeah. And ha- that honestly, that, that will give you honest feedback without judgment mm-hmm. and, and say, well, this is how I see you. And this is what I think your gifts are. You know, we all need somebody to, I mean, what do great coaches do? They see something in you that you have yet to see in yourself. And then they try to pull it out of them. And so people that we know, people that we trust, people that we love, that will give us some honest feedback about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't love that. We don't, <laughs> I, I don't love it. My wife says she's just trying to help me. And I'm like, I didn't ask for your help, right? I don't, we don't love that feedback. It's uh, funny, um... My fiance gives me a hard time, but whenever something maybe goes wrong, and it could be like something that we did, and that's the reason it went wrong, I always say, "Well, that's a learning experience." Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever say like something happens or she forgets something, she's like, "Oh, well, this is a learning yeah. experience." That's good. I'm, that's like, a- I'm like, "That's right." <laughs> if, if you're constantly learning, you can't be failing. Exactly right, and that's one of the main purposes behind the reason I started this podcast. Yeah, was continuing to talk with people that have way, you know, maybe way smarter than me or have a completely different experience than me or expertise. And so I can hopefully grasp some of that. Well, that's my favorite thing to do is learn. You mm-hmm. know, I try to learn from everybody I come into contact with. Uh, and that just opens your mind up to see things in a new way. And then figuring out, I think this is what you've done as a young man, is is it isn't what your dad thinks anymore. It isn't what I think. It isn't what all these great people and experiences you've had in life. It's integrating that. It isn't trying to live like your dad. It's integrating all these uh, life experiences and what people have poured into you and integrating it to who you are and what you believe. And it's taking ownership of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And one thing growing up in my life and even in some of my adult life is traumatic experiences and at the time, you don't realize how much they're affecting you or shaping you until you can reflect and, and get older and look back at them. But why? how can traumatic experiences help shape you for the good and the bad? Yeah, I remember your, your, your age group. Yes, sir. Man, was, was rocked by a lot of trauma mm-hmm. um, and what you guys were going through. And what we know to be true, when we go through traumatic experiences, the research suggests you got to be good at something. At least one something, and you got to have a group of people to go through it together. And so I appreciate how you guys stay connected 
uh, through that process. And I know some of those people are still so meaningful uh, in your life and what you've been through. And so um, I didn't know much about trauma growing up. I mean, I went through some difficult times. My junior year of high school, my mother was in a terrible car wreck and I was the first person on the scene. Um, and, and she had broke her back and her neck and her pelvis. I didn't handle that well. Uh, broke my arm that senior year in football playing quarterback. That was traumatic at the time. I come home, my parents separate and divorce after my first year in college, after 27 years. I uh, go back to school, a good friend gets in a car wreck and his girlfriend passes away. And then a friend of mine committed suicide from high school that same year. And when I went to Kentucky, Sam, they said, we have a very trauma-based program. That's where I did my doctorate work. And and I said, like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to go, I want to work with normal people with normal problems. I had no (laughs) idea what I'd been through. It was called trauma. Like, I I didn't even know the word. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is, as you just said, and as we, you well know, we all experience some type of traumatic event. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned, the hardest part about what I've learned about being a dad, about being a husband, about being a friend, about being a psychologist, is to watch someone you know and love go through pain, and you can't take away the pain. And so that trauma, my job and our job when we go through trauma, is back to not letting that change the whole way I experience life and the way I see myself because we create rules about life as we Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier and one of the what trauma does to us is we realize early on the world is not safe and those you curveballs exactly and and if that becomes if I can accept that and live in that space of uncertainty and and then I can move forward with confidence Mm -hmm. but when that becomes my primary model, the world is not safe, I'm not safe, then that increases my anxiety, my fear, and and I'm not able to cope or move forward. Mm-hmm. And you find escapes, or you find substances, or whatever it might be. Yeah, and so what we do when people go through traumatic events is we talk about the common responses to an uncommon event mm-hmm. and how trauma affects us mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally and relationally and behaviorally. Mm-hmm. And just as I said, I ran from the pain. Sure, I, me too. I, I, I ran from the pain because we don't like to experience pain. And and in fact, when I was going through that, my mother said, hey, you need to go see a psychologist. I'm like, those people are weird. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to see one. And I think what could have happened is at least somebody would have said and normalized, hey, Milt, this is a normal reaction sure. to an abnormal event. And running from the pain, I wish they would have just asked me, how is it helping? Mm-hmm. It's not. No. No. This, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't working. This isn't working. I think that was a breakthrough for me in my life along with education, because you learn that you're not the only one, Mm. right? And once I sat there, I don't know when it actually happened or clicked, but I'm like, dang, I'm not the only one going through this. But at the time, when you're going through it, you're like, I must be the only one. I'm like... (laughs) And so then we interpret something must be wrong with me. Yeah. I mean, it's what we tell young people, like high school or college is the best time of your life. I mean, that is a crock, right? (laughs) And it can be a great time of your life, but if that's the best time of my life, and then especially I'm struggling, Mm -hmm. or or it's not, then I think, well, something must be wrong with me. And so that interpretation of that time in your life, it takes away our hope, uh, and it takes away our confidence, and it takes away our joy. Exactly. And uh, something that you said earlier clicked in um, Matthew McConaughey. He always says, I think it's, what is his hero or, or who he looks up to be? It's himself in 10 years. Yeah. So he's always trying to grow to be better, right? It's never like a set goal to achieve. It's always like continuing to grow. Yeah, because when we stop growing, like that's when we're done. The purpose. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, I want to dive into sports a little bit. Okay. You played a bunch of sports growing up. How do you think they helped shape you as a youth? And now how, how they help you well, today. I think sports is a great microcosm for life. I mean, I, I think on the sports field, you're going to have some success. You're going to have some adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to learn that it's not just about you, that you cannot become the best version of yourself without help from somebody else. And I think that's why sports shape me so much in terms of just the mental toughness and the fortitude, uh, the the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. You're too young to remember the ABC Wild World of Sports, but that the thrill of and and so 
coming together to pursue a worthy goal and, and doing it together, I think that's what shaped me so much through sports is on that field or on that court, um, even, even an individual sport, like you're somewhat exposed mm -hmm. and the outcome is out of your control. <clears throat> and so how can you stay in this moment and how can you come together and how can you sacrifice a little bit of yourself to be a part of something greater than yourself? Mm -hmm. it might be the best feeling in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I think just the competition piece mm -hmm. of let's just go see how we stack up. Yeah. And, and, and I know the older I get, the more I miss that. Um, Me that, too. That competitive piece. Um, I've, I've learned that I don't need to be as competitive in everything in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look back and I played kickball recently after college and we had, you know, females on our team and it was co-ed. And I remember getting so mad when we didn't win. <laughs> and I look, think about it now. I'm like, they probably thought I was crazy, you know? Um, but uh, you've you've experienced some recent success, or not recent success, now yeah. like we're going 13, 14 years working with uh, Clemson University. Yeah. And you've helped shape their athletic program, their coaches, their school. Um, how did you get brought on board at Clemson? Yeah, that was just a blessing as I look back, as I was finishing up my PhD and um, trying to figure out, start my practice. We, you know, we had just moved in next door to you guys and uh, Jay was born and Caroline was pregnant and, and I'm trying to start my practice and the athletic director, Terry Don Phillips, created a position that I applied for and uh, was not qualified for. And, um, but I presented a model of kind of mental health and performance from a psychological perspective. And he asked me to come over one day a week uh, to start helping our athletes. And that's kind of where it started in 2005. And that grew into helping teams. And then when Coach Swinney was hired, um, he was trying to hire uh, – Oliver Purnell was working with a guy named Joel Fish. He was a really well-respected psychologist. And uh, Coach Swinney loves to say they couldn't get Joel because he was too expensive, so he got me because I was cheap <laughs> to, to be a part of it. And I remind him, like, he wasn't that expensive either in 2009 when he became the head coach. Sure. Like, he, he was kind of on the cheap. Exactly. Um, our salaries have not commiserated uh, along the way. <laughs> but, but it's been such a blessing to be a part of Clemson and the athletic department. We have so many great coaches and so many great athletes. And, and what a privilege it's been to be a partner in that process and be a witness to their growth. Um, and to be a small part of the puzzle of what it takes to kind of create a championship culture and program. How much has your message changed over time as the wins started to stack up, as you got better players, as expectations changed? Well, it's gotten easier. <laughs> you know, my, my, my message has gotten easier. Uh, you know, you have, have a young man like Trevor Lawrence, that makes sure. your job pretty easy. Um, you have uh, some of the great players and the great coaches. Um, you know, I think the biggest shift is where Coach Sweeney early on was selling a vision and belief of hope. Hey, this is what we hope we can do. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, this is what happens when you truly believe mm -hmm. in yourself and the people you surround yourself with and the vision has come to life. And so the only message that has changed a little bit now, the fundamentals have not changed. But the only message that changed now is how do we fight complacency? How do we continue to strive to grow? Yeah. How do we continue? You know, it's what you said earlier about McConaughey. Yeah. Like, how do we continue to strive and pursue and continue to keep our dreams greater than our memories? Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest risk. And then not fall victim to the expectations of what we should do. Mm -hmm. um, and playing as a favorite versus playing as someone as an underdog mm -hmm. and there's a different mentality sure and people are coming for you yeah and accepting that challenge but we've always talked about we define our own success we control what we can't control we're going to focus on being the best that we can be and hopefully that's enough to be the best ever so that principle has not changed uh, it just now we're doing it at a higher level mm -hmm. um, with a lot of observers and a lot of uh, that negativity that comes along with success can you build a leader? Yes. Yes. If, if um, you know, we've tried to study in the field of psychology and leadership development for years, 
hey, what are those natural traits? Mm-hmm. What are those? And there are some personality traits that are more wired, personalities that are maybe more wired for leadership. But one of the things I've learned um, is leadership can absolutely, a leader can be developed mm-hmm. um, if you have someone who's willing to grow. If you have someone who's curious, who's willing to learn, who's humble enough in the process. And I think leadership is all about creating an environment that maximizes people's strengths and minimizes people's weaknesses. And I've seen leaders with all kind of personalities and all kind of walks of life and all kind of experiences be very effective because they knew their strengths and they leveraged their strengths effectively and they created a people around them, a team around them that, that, that did what they did best so they could do what they did do best. And one thing that I love about you and listening to you is I don't want to, maybe you coach the coaches in some form or fashion. <clears throat> when you're working with the coaches and, you know, basically probably telling them how they should, what they should get from their players or how they should help build up their team. What are you trying to get out of individual players and how can you do that? What is that? So, so, okay, go back to them. What do you mean I can get out of individual players when I'm working with the coaches? Yep, so when you're working, say if you're the D-line coach and you're trying to get the best out of each individual, yeah. what is, how can that coach approach that? Well, well first and foremost, uh, the extent to which you can lead somebody else cannot be greater than the extent to which you lead yourself. And so I, as leaders and coaches, we spend so much time thinking about others mm-hmm. that we spend very little time thinking about ourselves. So part of my job at Clemson, I think, is to give the coaches a platform and an environment to really examine their own life, mm-hmm. to really challenge them on what is their vision, what is their purpose, what is their why, and then let's get excited and create something together of how we bring that to life mm-hmm. and staying connected to that. And so then we talk about what are some best practices in terms of driving peak performance of how to make it more about them than it is about you. How do we identify their strengths? How do we pay attention to what motivates them? How do we take this individual personality and gift that is in front of us and get them to sacrifice a little bit mm-hmm. of themselves, as we said earlier, to be a part of something greater than themselves? Having, you know, say, take the Clemson football team, you have tons of five-star recruits, right? You have these amazing players coming from all over the country, what is it? What's the what's the technique? What do you do for them to get them to buy in to y'all's mindset? Well, I think it goes with like who are we recruiting, mm-hmm. and you know a, a profile of a Clemson football player. What are those values? What are the character traits? What is somebody that is going to fit into what Coach Swinney really believes? Mm-hmm. And what are those core values? Well, I think if you know Coach Swinney, faith is at the top of his list, and yep. so. Uh, we have athletes who at least have an understanding and appreciation of uh, his faith and, and a willingness to be a part of a spiritual conversation. And so that's important to at least somebody that respects what he believes. Education is important to Coach Swinney, and so they have to value education. Mm-hmm. Uh, family values are important, so they have to have respect for family instructors, respect for others. Character matters. Work ethic matters Mm -hmm. Uh, attitude matters having a positive mental attitude uh, those all matter and then do they love the game do they love the grind do they not not do they love playing for championships (laughs) the hard work yeah work people don't see exactly and so when you have and and understanding that that Clemson football and coach 20 is greater than him Mm -hmm. it's greater than Trevor Lawrence it's greater than Christian Wilkins it's greater than some of our better players and so when you recruit to that kind of profile, it's easier for them to go ahead and buy into the vision. Mm-hmm. And you know, our four main goals that Coach Swinney has for our players are one, to graduate. Two is let them have a great college experience. Three is equip them with tools for life. And four, to win a championship. Mm-hmm. So we recruit players that are already buying into this. Yeah. That And so now we're recruiting players that have great talent. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit easier. Along with those values. Yes. Yes. Is there, is there ever time you would turn away a great player because they don't have the values? Yes. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're players that we walk away from. We're willing to, to, to step away uh, from talent uh, if they don't have the character. I mean, I mean, Grady Jarrett's a great example. He's a two-star. Yeah. Right? There's but, so many great players that were one-stars, two-stars, no-stars. And so, you know, we don't let the stars 
determine who we recruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the Super Bowl this year, there were uh, like three or four or five stars, and the majority were two or three stars. Because they got that hard work. And Yeah, yeah <laughs> they're hungry. Yeah. And our job, I think, as coaches and leaders is to not set limits on ourselves or on what other people can do. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that, saying, who am I to set a limit on what you can't accomplish? Yeah, exactly right. And, and while we know talent opens the door, there's so many other factors. And mm-hmm. so we are willing... We don't compromise a lot, and I and all our programs have a kind of a profile of this is what kind of player we're looking mm-hmm. for, and every now and then you could maybe take a risk with one player. Yeah. But if you get a few of those players on the team, it can kind of sabotage what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. It takes everybody else down. Yes. With uh, switching gears a little bit, and you know, most people, I mean, you being in the world of sports, I love, yeah. right? But the majority of people are in the corporate world. Yeah. And they're working in an office and they have a boss and they have managers. I want to talk about characteristics of a manager yeah. or of a boss. So, so one of the things that I've really learned, the same mental skills that make you successful in sport mm-hmm. are the same mental skills that make you successful in business. And most importantly, they're the same mental skills that make you successful in life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of, the, you just mentioned the two worlds that we're in right now. We're in yeah. the corporate world. of I spend probably more time in the corporate world than I do in the sports world. And to me, leadership is leadership, whether it's in the home, whether it's in sports, or whether it's at work. And so those same kind of characteristics and qualities of humility and transparency and curiosity mm-hmm. and, and being interested versus interesting, mm-hmm. um, making it more about others than it is about yourself. Um, creating alignment, setting a vision, maintaining the culture. Uh, I think that's a huge part of the process in effective leadership. Exactly right. Live Life in Motion is brought to you by CBDMD. I am very pumped to have CBDMD as a partner. They are the most legitimate CBD company out there. All their products are THC-free. They're all third-party tested. Really, they're trusted by a lot of the best athletes in the world. I've used CBD for a long time, and their products at CBDMD are simply the best. I love their gummies. Really, there's a lot of uses for CBD. I like to use it for sleep and really any type of recovery. Um, It really can help inflammation. So go to their site, cbdmd.com. Look up some products and use promo code LIVE25 at checkout and you will save 25% off your order. So it's a pretty darn good deal. Go to CBDMD.com, use promo code LIVE25 at checkout and start living healthier. When I hear all the time from my friends and family that they're man- they have a bad manager. Yeah. You know? And I try and tell them I wish that manager would listen to them more, right? I feel like listening is one thing that we, I wish people could do better. And are there skills or techniques or tools you help put into place in some of these corporate environments to help listening and understanding and forgiveness? Well, I think, I think you got to set the right culture. And, and, and Google engaged in a huge study called Project Aristotle. And they were trying to determine what their characteristics of the best teams at Google. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of money. And, <laughs> and, and the number one characteristic they found was this concept that Amy Edmondson has done a lot of work in called psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And what that means is they were the, they were the highest performing teams. And, and that psychological safety means we've created a culture where we're free to make mistakes. Yes. We're free to ask for help. We're free to challenge the status quo. Um, and, and with that freedom to be human, now we're on the same page. And the two factors that really determine whether psychological safety is present is conversational turn-taking. Right? So we're taking turns in the conversation. <laughs> and what they call, and I can't remember who said this, ostentatious listening. Ah. Like, I'm not listening so I can one-up you. I'm not listening to kind of um, to show you what I know. Mm-hmm. I'm listening because I care about what you have to say. Yep. And I think we live in such a distracted world that we aren't truly present and we aren't truly focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Charles Stanley said, busyness ravages relationships. 
And I think that's what prevents our world. It's, it's fascinating to me. We live in a world that's so connected through social media and technology that we really are disconnected. Mm-hmm. We really are. We're disconnected with our own thoughts. Yes. And about who we <laughs> yeah. are. Yes. You know, our own self-image or, or whatever you want to call it. What well about said. feedback? Giving proper feedback to help people. So, so we laugh that uh, my business partner, Drew Brandon, will say, you know, people love that say I love feedback. What they really mean is I love for you to tell me how great you think I am. Like we don't, we don't love feedback. And so the art of giving feedback is, and we struggle doing this, Sam, can I separate who I am from what I do? And can I separate who you are from what you do? Mm-hmm. You know, in our football world, I'll tell, in our sports world, I'll tell our coaches, let's attack the play, not the player. Mm-hmm. Right? Think about in leadership. We want to attack the performance, not the person. And so how we create a culture of feedback is, are we giving positive and negative feedback? Are we creating an environment, a safe environment where we're able to speak the truth? And trust. Yes. You know, that's a big thing that I notice is if somebody trusts you, they're going to be more open and honest with you about their mistakes or if they messed up instead of trying to hide it from you. But back to the pressure that we're all under, and you said maybe that bad manager, Mm -hmm. uh, vulnerability is what leads to trust. Yeah. And so as a leader, am I willing to admit mistakes? Yep. Am I willing to show my humanity? Am I willing to ask for help? And when I'm able to be vulnerable, then I give other people permission to do the same. And sure. that's what builds trust. And mm-hmm. hey, we're in this thing together. Yeah. And we're all human. Yes. We're all going to make mistakes. Yes. And, and I think that's what I've really tried to focus on a little bit here in this world that we're in and where we're so divided is what are the universal principles that govern us as humans? Mm-hmm. And how can we try to find more ways to connect with people sure. based on our humanity versus the things of this world that divide us? Yep. And one thing I, you know, I've learned <clears throat> through my experiences is going through those experiences, I was almost embarrassed by them at the time. Yep. Right? But now looking back at them, I liked people to know because then they can trust me. They know that I'm not perfect and they have made me like those bad experiences or those experiences. I don't even want to call them bad because now they're a blessing. They made you who you are. They made me better. Yeah. Right. But it's hard to know that when you're going through it. Sure. And that's what, and some people never get on that other side though. Yeah. You know, that's a, that takes time. Well, it takes it takes a community. Mm-hmm. You can't do it by yourself. And sometimes when we go through these traumatic events and these bad experiences, as you say, it makes us very isolated and focused on our own pain. Yeah. And we're so maybe uh, overcome with that pain. We're so overcome with guilt. We're overcome with shame. Whatever that is, it keeps me from connecting and talking and discussing. And it gets in my own head yep. and shapes the way I live my life and shapes the way I interact with others. How much do you, I mean, you focus a lot on the mind. Where does the mind and the body come together? Because I know for me, as an, as an example, I need to be working out. I need community. I need to be talking with my friends. Like, that's what helps me feel my best. Yes. Right? So, like talking about exercise or what else goes along with a healthy mind? Yeah, you know, we talk about, you know, look good, feel good, <laughs> play good, think good, play good, right? And so... Uh, our model of peak performance uh, from a sports perspective is is what I've titled kind of play free. We play our best and we play mm-hmm. free. And that stands for focus, relax, engage, and enjoy. The relax piece, Sam, is how do I quiet my mind? And we've talked a lot about that. How can I think in a different way? How can I focus on what I can control? Uh, how do I get my thoughts working for me or against me? And other pieces, how do I quiet my body? Mm-hmm. And so what is that zone of optimum performance? And what what are those things that we know to be true to help me be at my best? And and the research has been overwhelmingly supportive. If I'm dealing with depression, like what are the two main signs of depression? Helpless and hopeless. If I'm dealing with anxiety where I'm fearful and overwhelmed, anxiety affects us cognitively. It affects us physiologically. That adrenaline, right? What happens mm-hmm. when I'm anxious? My heart, I'm yeah. sweating, my stomach, my digestive system. That, that's all a response. So what are the three main treatments for anxiety and depression? But well, one is medication, if, and that works for some people. Mm-hmm. Two is counseling, like talking to someone about what you're going through. And three is exercise. 
And so that's how the mind and body are connected. Um, that, that natural endorphins that are released during exercise and during a pleasurable experience help fight that depression, helps fight that anxiety. So what is being released? Like the stress? I mean, I say my stress gets released. Well, cortisol is that stress hormone and, mm-hmm. and what's secreted from that stress hormone is adrenaline. And so if you have that fight or flight response and I don't deal with it, yeah. right? It's going to, it's going to paralyze me. Mm-hmm. And so there's natural endorphins that are, that feel good, that are produced from exercise is how I think our bodies were created to deal with the stress. Think about uh, early humans, like they weren't sitting around talking, having a podcast, right? They, <laughs> they weren't sitting on a couch saying, well, how's your day? They were working. Mm-hmm. They were active. They were taking care of their bodies. They were physically active and, and busy producing something. And they were getting good sleep. They didn't have lights to keep them up all night. And sure. so they, they, you know, those, now they didn't live a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that may be something else, but I think um, creating an awareness for our, your listeners, you know, I love the title, like live life in motion. That's right. Like we're getting busy doing something. We're physically active. We're pursuing a worthy goal and we're thinking in a way that leads to a healthy life mm-hmm. uh, based on what you believe. Yeah. What about <clears throat> as a parent with your three wonderful kids? Let's take Jay as an example. Wonderful He's, kids. I, yeah. I appreciate, you know, I, I used to teach a lot of parenting classes. They're teenagers now. I haven't taught one in about five years. <laughs> well, he's, all right, he's big into golf right now. Do you try to instill, have you been in trying to instill some of this into him throughout his youth sports playing? Oh, his whole life. All my children, my girls Do they too. get annoyed with it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Jay's like, you just say that because you're a psychologist. Like, no, son, I say this because this is what I believe at a much deeper level. Mm-hmm. And and I'm pouring into them all the time in terms of quotes and scripture and how I want them to think and uh, how are we going to define success. And, and I think the expectations, especially for Jay, uh, puts a lot of pressure on himself. You mm-hmm. know, he's wanted to play a college sport since he was – I mean, since we moved in next door. Yeah. I mean, he said in first grade, he said, Dad, I'm as smart as I want to be. I'm going to play. I don't need to go to second grade. He said, I'm going to play football at Alabama, basketball at Duke, baseball at South Carolina, and golf at Clemson and figure out what I'm going to go pro in. Yeah. And so I've always tried to find a way to remove the pressure from the outcome. Mm-hmm. And what I've done a poor job of is when he gets discouraged, he gets negative. Um, because of what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah. And and negativity and kind of no effort are, are two main triggers for me. And so... No effort. That's one, a trigger for me. Yeah. yeah. If you're just a talking head and you're not putting any action into yeah. anything, yeah. it's hard for me to give you your due. And so it's say. hard for all of us. I know what he needs from me as a dad and what my children need from me. It's hard sometimes to separate the psychologist, the coach, mm-hmm. the dad, and understanding what's the most important role I play. And so my wife does a wonderful job. Uh, and together we try to remind them that who you are and who you become is more important than what you do. 100%. And and using these opportunities that are in front of you, whether it's school, whether it's sports, whether it's extra, other extracurricular activities, whether it's... Um, uh, friends, uh, these are opportunities to shape your character and to reinforce what you believe. Yeah, um, and so that's part of that journey. I can relate with Jay. I remember telling my parents, <laughs> "I only go to school to play sports." Yeah, and yeah, I that's yeah. I don't yeah. go to school to I learn. Go, I, I go, go to, to learn so I can play on the team. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, great way. And so I think that's what our job, and I think uh, the pressure that parents feel that. Uh, their child has to be great at everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what's pushed down. And so we try to live that out, but we aren't perfect in it. And, sure. um, you know, we try to be consistent with that. And, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I kind of want to, I'm going to throw it into your court. Oh, boy. What's the most important thing we could talk about today or you believe is the most important thing, your message today? Man, that's uh, that's hard. I've said a lot. Um, I hope some of it is important. It is. But what, you know, part of my vision, uh, Sam, is to use the gifts that I think I've been given. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to instill hope, to help people find meaning in their suffering, and to have the courage to live according to what they believe. Mm-hmm. And so what would be most important to me for your listeners, no matter where they are in this walk of life, whether things are going great or whether they're struggling, is you don't have to do this alone. And, and, and there is hope. And, and how can you think differently about yourself? And how can you not set limits on who you are and who you are to become? Mm-hmm. And to keep fighting, to keep pursuing, and to create an image in your mind of who you want to be and then have the courage to try to live that out. That's the thing. And you're not alone. There's hope. Yeah, there's hope. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, one can't live in a world without hope. And how do we try to shift our brain to kind of look for the good and overcome the natural tendency to look for the bad? Yes, sir. Well, Dr. Louder, <laughs> thank you so much for coming. This has been honestly a pleasure and a joy and Hopefully we can have more amazing conversations like this in the future. Uh, man, what a blessing for me to see who you are and who you are uh, have become. But more importantly, um, we know the work's not done. And, and I thank you for this time. And I, and I love you using this platform for good. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.